Thank you, guys. Um, Debbie, would you stand up for a minute? Yes, Debbie. This is, she, she is much better to look at. She's much better to talk to. She's much better if you want to be loved. She does love much better than me. And I think that's kind of a maybe a guy-female thing. I don't know. <laughs> but make sure you get to meet her afterwards. Um, we've been together now uh, coming up on eight years uh, in our marriage. And uh, it's been amazing what God has done during those, those times. So I want to give you a little bit of just a, a feel for what's going on in Arlington and how we ended up there uh, along the way, which was totally unexpected. And I, I really offer this as an encouragement to show you that at, no matter what age you are, and it, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I'm older than Ronnie. Okay, <laughs> so it's that bad. I'm older than Ronnie. Uh, but just to show you how God can uh, work in your life and do things that are so unexpected, because I promised you uh, even a year ago, Debbie and I had no idea that we would be in Arlington, Texas, uh, working with about 60 or 70 uh awesome disciples of Jesus over there. It wasn't even on our radar. It was nothing that we were even thinking about um, at the time, uh, but God has really blessed us and encouraged us with that along the way. So a little bit of background. I'll just, I'll take it out of the teaching time because you've already heard what I'm going to say anyway, so it doesn't matter. Uh, but a little bit of background about, um, I guess it was... Two, nearly two years ago now. It was uh, December of, uh, at the end of December 2016. Uh, Debbie and I were in a small log cabin out in East Texas, and we had bounced around from church to church, and we really had come to the conclusion that God was done with us. That there was really nothing more for him to do in our lives. That there was no place that we would fit in uh, everywhere. And, and honestly, it was a really depressing thought for me to think, well, I'm done. There's nothing that God wants me to do uh, anymore. And uh, so this was right around Christmas time. You know, Christmas time is a really great time for depression. <laughs> but uh, I, I was spiraling down, you know, during that time, wondering what we were going to do. And uh, we had been with a, a church plant that had not gone very well, at least for us. And, uh, and we were trying to figure out what to do with our lives. So I had been for the past year and a half uh, with a young man that... Um, had asked me to disciple him. He had kind of gotten off track spiritually, and I didn't have much going on in my life. I was glad to have someone to pour into. And we'd spent about the last year and a half together kind of getting things back on track for him. And so during this time of sitting in this cabin, his mom calls me. I never talked to her before, and she said, listen, she said, I, I think, and I won't give you his name, but you probably wouldn't know him anyway, but I think my son really needs to be in a different place. And I said, yeah, I know you're right, but I don't know where that place is because if, if I knew, I would be there myself, you know, and I just, it wasn't a place, you know, for us. And, uh, and she said, well, I know someone who knows this guy by the name of Ronnie Warsham, and he's close to you guys, and I think there's some good things going on in this family of churches that he's involved with. And I'd like for my son to go over and just check this out. And I've talked him into going over, and uh, I'd like for you guys to go with him. So we said, okay, well, you know, we'll do that. And he calls me, sure enough. He says, Tom, I want to go down there, but I don't want to go by myself. Will you and Debbie go with me? And I said, sure, we've got nothing else going on in our life now. And so it was, this, it was the second Sunday 
in January of 2017 that we showed up in, in Garland uh, at, at the, uh, I guess, the mother church <laughs> there. And uh, we walk in the doors, and as is typical we of the older generation, we came early. There was almost no one there. You know, but we met, a, we, we talked to a few people and, uh, and sure enough, this guy connects with, uh, with Ronnie, calls him back and we're just out front because we were just a part of what was going on. We weren't central to it. And Ronnie calls us back and, uh, he was really interested in us because of the fact that I was a person that was willing to invest in, a, in a, another person to spend a year, a half, year and a half of my life investing in him, caught his attention you know, towards me. He didn't know me. He didn't know what I believed. He didn't know what my values were. But he liked the idea that I, I had this, this concept that I would invest. I would pour myself into someone, which is basically what I think of in discipling. Is discipling is just investing in, you know, in someone else, uh, whatever that works out to be along the way. Um, so anyway, that particular day, that Sunday, uh, Ronnie took us, Debbie and I, some other people from there, and this young man, we all went out to lunch. And this young man decided very quickly it was not the place for him because he was looking for a wife and he didn't like the pool there. <laughs> I mean, that's crude to say, but that's, that's where he was. I realized I still had some more discipling to do <laughs> in his life. And uh, so anyway, he decided very quickly it was not the place for him. Uh, and Debbie and I never left. Okay, we, we never left. Uh, from that from that Sunday lunch, uh, the following week, Ronnie said, "Hey, you got time after work to meet me at at uh, Waterburgers?" And I entered into the famous Ronnie Worsham Waterburger Ministry. <laughs> if you if you're not familiar with that, that's the only place he can get the kind of salad that he wants. And so, if you want him to disciple you, you got to go to Waterburger. <laughs> and uh, so that's kind of what went on in our life. So. Uh, that was in January. Now, the interesting part of this story, I may not have time to teach. I have to do the story. But <laughs> the interesting part of this story is then in February, uh, we were there attending the services. And Ronnie said, hey, we've got a bunch of kids over in Arlington. And uh, we don't know what we're going to do over there yet. Now, this was before this whole thing got started. This is February 2017. He said, how would you and Debbie feel about just coming over and taking part of the service, you know, just watch the service and see what's going on? He said, I think it might encourage you uh, to do that. So in February of 2017, Debbie and I went over there. We were blown away for what we were seeing. I mean, we had no exposure to Focus, so we didn't know what was going on in Focus and what they were doing. Uh, but we got introduced to all these marvelous, marvelous young people over there. And again, we had no thought for what God was doing in this process. We were just encouraged to see people who were committed to being disciples of Jesus and were committed to each other and what was going on in their lives. And we're like, like this is really cool. And... Uh, so anyway, that's kind of how we got introduced to Arlington. Still, we had no thought that God was going to move us over there. I'm, you know, I re the following May I retired. You know, and you retired, you usually settle into one place and you never move. You know, and that's kind of what I thought would be going on in, in, in our lives. Uh, but we would continue to work there at Garland. And I, my passion, and I'll talk a little bit more about this and if I get to the lesson. But anyway, uh, my passion is both adult discipleship and a ministry that I call God at Work. Okay, so I worked in the corporate world, and I was really super interested in how do you do ministry uh, in the corporate world? 
How, how does that work? I didn't know anyone that was doing it. Uh, I am an introvert by nature. You may not think that because I'm up here talking, but I'm much more comfortable with me and my own thoughts. If you want an extrovert, she's right over there. Okay. And she carries me along through life, you know, in, in this process. But how does an introvert enter into the corporate world and begin a ministry in the corporate world? And that's another whole story that I don't have time to get into. But God led me step by step through that process. So I started teaching over at, uh, at the Garland Church. We started doing these God at Work workshops, trying to help people incorporate some of the things that God had taught me. So that kind of is what happened uh, during that year. So towards the end of last year in December, Ronnie approached me again and he said, um, you know, we got to figure out something over in Arlington. We got so many, so many good things that are going over there. I don't have anyone to send over. I don't think we're ready to plant a church. That was a lie. It was a trick. <laughs> okay. He said, I don't think we're ready to plant a church. Uh, but would you and Debbie consider just going over once a month and meeting with them, just trying to get a feel uh, for what was what was going on, what's going on over there? And we're like, yeah, we'd love to do that. We loved our time over there. So in January of this year, we went over to Arlington and we met with them for the first time. There were probably 60 or 70 people there uh, for that first service that we had together. And it was so abundantly obvious to me that we didn't need to plant a church because God had already planted his church. Okay, it was it was already there. So I, I did this teaching that day that God kind of put on my heart is is when when you make disciples, you know, if you make disciples, a church gets planted. It's just going to happen. You can't, you can't stop it. If you go back to the book of Acts, you'll find them immediately beginning to make disciples. And as soon as they make disciples, the church emerges. And so it was obvious to us that God was emerging His church over there. But what, what do we do with it you know, when we're there? So that's kind of how we got started with, with those guys. And um, there's some, a lot of the background I think would be cool to share. But that's, that's where we began in that process. But still, Debbie and I had no thought of moving over there. And then we started, God started playing with our minds a little bit. And he was like, well, I think, Debbie and I talked about it, maybe we should go over there twice a month and we'll just, maybe we'll even rent a room so we can be over there a little bit more with the people. Um, but anyway, it began to be obvious to us uh, before too long that, do I need to step back a little bit maybe? <laughs> Uh, it began to be obvious to us that we needed to be over there full time. For one, we just fell in love with the people and we wanted to share life with them. And it was the only way that was going to happen. And um, so anyway, that's kind of the, the, how Arlington got started and how we got involved in that process. One of the challenges that Ronnie laid before us, he said, Tom, I want you to, he said, you're kind of an innovator. I want you to go over and build a church that doesn't require a building. So we started with this idea of what we call family groups. And uh, in our family groups, we meet in the home, and uh, it's about 10 to 15 people in each group. So this last summer, when school was breaking up, we said, let's see if we can find a handful of students that are going to stick around, and we can start a, a family group with some of our young marrieds and some of these students. We were hoping we would have one family group uh, to do a test run with. Uh, but God had another surprise for us. We had 45 students that said they wanted to start family groups this summer, which we weren't ready for, you know, but we started. So we didn't start with one family group. We started with three family groups. Uh, now we're kind of in a pattern to where we meet 
twice a month in what we call a gathering, something like this on campus over there, and generally twice a month that we meet in our family groups. And the family groups are growing faster than anything else, and the commitment to the family groups uh, has really been cool in the way that it's grown. So gives you a little feel for what's going on in Arlington, and I uh, just want to give you a little bit of background and things you can be uh, praying for there. Uh, we are, as I said before, one of my passions is adult discipleship. I don't believe you stop being a, a disciple of Jesus and functioning in, on mission as a disciple of Jesus because you graduate from college. And I'll be honest with you, it disturbs me when I sit, and I've done this numerous times now, sit across uh, my living room talking with people who graduated you know, a year ago or two years ago, and they feel like their spiritual dream is over. And that's wrong. You know, and it's just something that I'm not willing to to submit myself to and to give into that. You know, if I can still be making disciples and living as disciples at nearly 70 years of age, surely we can continue in discipleship as we go along. And I want to kind of refer back to that in our passage this morning. So that's a real passion. I want you to pray that we... Uh, from the very beginning, as we try to become what you are, and you're, you're steps ahead of us in this, but as we start this whole process, pray that we continue that adult discipleship with the same values, the same commitments. Maybe it's done a little bit differently, but we have those same values and same commitments that you have when you're living in this hothouse of focus. Uh, because we don't believe that should stop anywhere in your life, that it should continue on. So pray for us in being able to do that. Okay, I think I didn't plan any of that, so hopefully that's helpful to you in, in some way, or meaningful in some way. So what I was supposed to do this morning was talk about Luke 14. It's kind of a fun passage, and it's kind of a, a cool story, and it kind of scares the bejeebers out of you when you first hear it. So in Luke 14, I want to read this, and probably every one of you have heard this at some point in your life, but if you have heard this, I want you to think back to the time that someone first shared this passage with you, and see if you can remember what your reaction was. Okay? So this is Jesus, and it simply says there were great clouds of people that were traveling with him. So you got this great crowd of people it's kind of interesting that it puts crowd in the plural, crowds. So that would tell me there's a lot of people that are around Jesus. And most ministries today, we would call that very successful. Okay? So you have all these crowds of people that are following him. And he turns around and he says to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, Yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I'm going to skip the stories he tells for just a minute. So a little bit later on, he finishes up by saying in verse 33, In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all of his possessions cannot be my disciple. What's your first gut reaction to that? What, what, the first time you heard that, what, what did you think? Hateful? Confusing as all get out. Yeah, confusing. What else? <laughs> okay. I don't think I want to be his disciple. 
Yeah, I don't know that I want to be his disciple if this is what you know it's about. Now, maybe it depends somewhat on what kind of a family situation you came up in. You know, I, I grew up in a, in a very loving, providing, secure family situation. And so I'll tell you, the first time I saw this, I was like, what the heck? <laughs> I mean, I have this story about Jesus going on in my head, and Jesus is love. Everything about him is love. But God, I mean, I grew up on John 3.16. I even went to football games and saw John 3.16 in the end zone. <laughs> You know, for God so loved the world that he said, hate your father and mother. I'm like, God, I don't get it. I don't get it. What does what does that mean? I'll never forget when I was I've shared this so many times because I've been a Christian now for nearly 45 years. And so I've shared this passage with because I teach a lot on discipleship. I've shared this passage with a lot of people and almost universally it freaks people out. To hear this passage. And I've never seen a passage in the Bible more watered down than this one. When we start teaching, we start scrambling to try to explain it and to, and to, and to soften it and to make sure that, that it's like, oh, don't, well, I know it sounds bad, but it's not as bad as it sounds. I mean, in essence, that's how we kind of teach through that passage, you know, a lot of, a lot of times. And I remember when I was very early in ministry that I shared this passage. Uh, there was a young lady uh, who her husband was really turned off with Christianity. And uh, I went and spent some time with him, hoping that I could reach him. And I just started talking to him about, boy, I, you know, I really admire Jesus. I, you know, I, I love him. I, I appreciate his values. And he said, are you kidding me? He said, have you really read what Jesus said? Do you really want to do what Jesus says do? And I was like, yeah, I'm all in. He said, oh, really? And he turned to Luke 14. <laughs> and he read this to me. He said, are you in now? And I couldn't get him past it. You know, he was, he was really stuck on that. And so this is kind of a, it's a really interesting passage to me because I think it exposes a lot of things about us. Okay? And... Uh, I, I was challenged working story into this. I want, I'm going to use the stories that Jesus used to kind of jump into this here in just a second. Um, but it's challenging, you know, to think about what he's saying, where he's trying to, trying to lead us to this. And I wonder, you know, what's really going on in this idea? And it exposes some things about us that I think are very critical for us to see. So I want you to look back in, in verse uh, 15. This is back probably in the lesson that you had last week. But there's this guy, and he's at the table with Jesus. And he said, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Okay? This is part of the, the framework. This is part of the story that's going on. They're, they're sitting in with Jesus. They're with him at the table. And someone there was really in the spirit, you know, and says, blessed is the guy that gets to sit at the table with Jesus and eat it in his kingdom. Blessings, blessings, blessings. And out of this framework, Jesus introduces a series of stories to kind of tweak the thinking a little bit. And what I realized when I began to think about that is that it's really easy to get someone to want to be blessed by Jesus. But it's another story altogether to get someone to be a disciple of Jesus. Okay? Because blessings are no-brainer. 
Okay? We, we all want God speaking and doing good into our lives. We all want that to be going on, and we're really happy with Him when that works, and we're probably really unhappy with Him when it's not working that way. We want to be blessed, but this idea of being a disciple of Jesus is a totally different thing. It doesn't mean you're not blessed, but what it means is, is that I'm going to learn for Him a new way of living. Okay? A new way of being in his kingdom. And as a matter of fact, the world is not going to be the same because I'm called as a disciple to be this salt that makes the world better. In fact, it kind of stunned me the first time I picked up that verse 34 was at the end of this teaching. Okay? So this radical idea of hating father and mother and sister and brother and, and even hating your own life and giving up all your possessions is tied to this idea that I'm to be salt. I'm not going to change the world just by letting God bless me. I want God to bless me, but that's not going to change the world. I'm not going to fulfill the role that he's given me to do. I will change the world if I become a disciple who loves him this intensely in my life. And if I lose that radicalness to my faith in him, then I'm done in terms of being able to help the world. I'm just out of place. There's nothing more to be done with it. So the first thing is, as I think about this, Tom, are you a guy who just wants to be blessed by God? Or are you a guy that wants to actually be a disciple, a student of Jesus learning this new way to live? Okay, So once we kind of wrestle with that, then you begin to realize, you know, this is, I, I look back a couple of chapters, this has been going on for a while. Jesus has been teaching about this radical idea of discipleship for, for quite a while in his ministry. And I realized how easy it would have been to been around Jesus and see him feed 5,000 people with a few loaves and a few fish and heal this person and that person and bring someone back to, you know, from the dead. It would be easy to get on the, on the being blessed bandwagon part of this. But what about the disciple side of this? And it, but it's been going on. So here's the deal. I want you to think about this. I think it's very critical that we, that we get this picture this is about story. The reality is, you and I, we want to tell Jesus' story for him. Yeah. We don't want him to tell the story. Now, if we were to put that in a, in a dating relationship type things, it would be like, I want to define the relationship with Jesus. But I don't want Jesus to define the relationship. Especially if he keeps talking like this. I don't want him to define that relationship for me. You know, just a chapter back in chapter 13 in, in verse 22, you, you get this guy, he comes up to Jesus and he said, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Now, I don't know if he heard the Sermon on the Mount or Jesus repeating that teaching somewhere along the line where Jesus specifically says only a few are going to find that narrow way. But that's not the story he wanted to hear. It's kind of like today. The story we want to hear, the story we want to believe, is that everybody's right with God and we're going to be okay. If you don't believe that, just attend a few funerals this week. When we all die, we're all okay. And God's love and God's grace is going to cover everything. That's how we write the story. And we want to write the story. 
Ever since, if you were to go back in history, we don't have time to do this this morning, but if you were to study the history of revivalism in America, you will see how the story of Jesus has been rewritten over and over and over. To the point that we start using language right now about, listen, there's nothing you can do to be saved. It's all done by Him. It's all on His, it's all on his back. Salvation totally belongs to Him, and you can't do anything. Oh, and by the way, all you have to do is just to express your belief in Him. You can say the sinner's prayer, then go on with your life. And oh, we also have this idea that somewhere along the way, that the way we do this premillennialism and all those type things, that if we mess up, we're going to get a second chance somewhere along the way. Do you get the picture of the story that we're writing? It's all on God's back, not on mine. All I have to do is say this prayer or say that I believe in Him, and I can continue on with my life. And if I mess that up, I get a second chance. That's the story that we write in American Christianity. It's not the story that Jesus tells us. Now, let me see if I can reframe this a little bit for you. Let's think about what Jesus is saying here about hating father, mother, and all. Let's think about another relationship. It's eight years ago. Debbie and I had just met. Okay. First of all, it's weird to start dating when you're 60. Okay. It's just weird to do that. Not so much for her. Everybody wanted to date her. But for me, it was weird to start dating. So we're trying to decide, is this the relationship? You know, we, we just got started, and we're trying to decide if this is the relationship that we need to come together and to be one. She's going to be my wife. And so I'm thinking about this. So imagine me going to Debbie and saying, listen, you're really pretty. And you're really talented. And you're really good at loving me. So I, I think I want to get married, but I, I want you to understand something. I love you, but I love my dad and my sister even more. And I'll love you and take care of you unless my dad needs something. And then he's going to take priority over you. Okay? Or my sister's going to take priority over you in my life. And oh, by the way, I have a lot of toys I like to play with, okay? You know, I'm, I'm really into whatever. I'm, I'm not. The only thing I have is some few books. But anyway, <laughs> but I had all these toys like guys had. You know, if, if, I, if I'd grown up in my dad's footsteps, then I would, I would have some kind of a side-by-side -side to go out in the deer woods and hunt, which my son is doing this week. But it skipped me in, that, in the generational thing. It went, it went right over. But if I were to say to her, but when hunting season comes, I'm out of here. You can do whatever you want to do. I am not going to miss hunting. And I'm not going to miss having that fun. But you should understand that because that's something I really owe myself, you know, along the way. Or to say to her, you know, I love you. We're going to be married if you'll accept my proposal in the way that I'm, beautiful way that I'm laying it out <laughs> to you. If you accept my proposal, then I, well, I want you to know I'm going to need some me time. Okay? I'm, I'm going to need some me time. Uh, along the way. So whenever I just, you know, I need to go be with the guys or I just need to, uh, you know, go off somewhere else. I may, who knows what I'll do. It's, it's okay because I've got to have that and surely you understand that. But I love you and I want to be married to you. Now what do you think Debbie would be thinking right about now? <laughs> she would be thinking, Ron, as far away as you can go. That's what she would be thinking. 
Now listen to this, though. <laughs> listen to this. As wonderful she is, and she is, and I thank God that she's a part of my life. Uh, and God's done things that we, neither one of us could imagine because we're together. Um, if I owe her much more than that, what do I owe Jesus? So if I'm going to form a relationship with this Jesus guy, if I really believe what I say I believe, that he is the Son of God, if I really believe that the kingdom of God, not the Democratic Party, not the Republican Party, not Americanism, but the kingdom of God is what life is all about, and he's willing to invest in me personally and form a relationship with me and see that I'm discipled and I'm trained and I become like him in the way that I think, in the way that I love, in the things that I do. If Would I give him less than I would give her? I mean, do I come to him and say, listen, Jesus, I want to be your disciple, but my family comes first. You know, got to take care of them. You understand that because you taught us to love. You taught guys to love their wives. So you understand that family, you know, comes first. I would never do that to her. I would never put my dad above her. Okay. I would never put my sister, you know, above her. I don't even put my son above her. And I don't put my own career now that it's over, especially. But anyway, <laughs> above her. <laughs> okay. And I'm not going to put myself above her. And you can ask her. She'll tell you that's true. Okay. So why would I think less about my relationship with Jesus? So as I think about those different elements, as Jesus told this, you know, this particular story, it was haunting to me because I began to think about the, ex this is a side, this is my little side trip, and bear with me for a minute. I began to think about adult discipleship. And if you were to read there in Luke 14, the parable of the banquet that happened right before this, you probably studied it last week, okay? If you'll think about that, it began to haunt me because it sounded like all the excuses I've heard adults make about discipleship in their life. Do you, can you relate to that? You know, he starts out, he says, listen, uh, I know you invited me to be a part of this, but I've just bought this field and I've got to go out there and check it out. Or I just got married, I've got to make sure I take care of my wife. Or I have this great set of oxen now and I've got to go out and see how well they do in the field. And it sounds a whole lot like all the garbage that we inject into adult discipleship. Yeah. Too busy with my careers. Too busy with my family. Too busy with me. <laughs> you know, to really connect. I don't think that that's the relationship that Jesus wants. I think that's the story that we're trying to write and not the story that he's writing. Now, I know there's a, that might provoke a lot of questions that we can't answer right now, but I fully believe you can function as a disciple of Jesus with all, with all the same love, with all the same commitment, with all the same mission that you can when you were a college student. I know you can because I've done it for the last 45 years. 
And I can point you to some other people who have done it as well. And it's not because I'm a remarkable person. And it's not because I'm super spiritual in any way. That is, that's simply not true. Okay. So it haunts me to think about how similar that sounds to some of the excuses that we use in adult discipleship. A side thought. Take it for what it's worth. So Jesus tells two stories here to kind of drive this point home. Am I way over time? <laughs> okay. He tells two stories here to drive this home. And he, he does this thing about no one starts out to build this tower without first counting the cost. Because if you get started and you build the foundation uh, and then you can't finish the job, you're going you're gonna to look like an idiot. Okay, you can look like an idiot that you started out on this and you can't finish it. So I was thinking about this. So this is a part of this whole relationship thing with Jesus. And so this story is designed to tell us something about starting on this relationship journey with him. And I began to realize that, you know, we're pretty good about the first steps of the journey. You know, maybe it was focus on Jesus you studied with someone or however you, you started your journey along the way. Um, we jump in head first and when we start giving, when we start developing faith, just to say that I, that I believe in him. And maybe we get kind of excited about what's going on and we, so we, we get involved in the process and think about being forgiven and all the things we want to be forgiven for. So things like faith and forgiveness, you know, and, and stuff like that, it's kind of the beginning of this journey in this relationship. But he says, I don't want you to just think about the beginning of the journey. I want you to think about the end of the journey. Faith is a foundation thing. Forgiveness is a foundation thing. But what is it going to look like when the tower is built at the end? So if you think about discipleship and what it means in our life, is that literally I am being changed to be like Jesus. And that means there are things that I think that I'm going to have to stop thinking there are values that I hold that are wrong values and they're going to have to be changed. And good night. When you look at the character that's inside of me, the character's way off. I mean, really way off. He's got to change my, my character. I mean, part of the deals with an introvert like me is you love yourself so much you don't want anybody to interfere with your life. Give of myself... Like, I'm trying to protect myself, for goodness sake. You know? It's got to change. That's the completion. That's the tower that he's building. Do you realize it is God who is at work in you, and he wants to finish that tower in your life? You can't even see the top of the tower. You can't imagine but are you as committed to letting him change you and transform you and make you who you want to be as you were to come to faith and be forgiven? I think that's what the story is saying. He wants us to think past that beginning stage of this. And if that's not enough, he flips it around, he tells a story from a different angle. He talks about there's this king. And he sees another king. This is a world that, that we don't even relate to in America today. But in their world, when you had your kingdom, it was very fragile. And it was not unusual for someone else to want to take over your kingdom. Okay? And so if you saw another king coming, you had a decision to make. 
probably what you're going to do is you're going to send out a scouting party. You're going to you're going to find out what kind of power does this guy have. You're going to take ass, uh, you're going to take your own assets and look at them. What kind of power do I have? Can I win this battle? If I can't win this battle, then I better try to get terms of peace with him and get happy with what's going to happen because I don't want to be annihilated in this process. So just like he's talking about counting the cost of what it's going to take to finish, now he talks about, I think, he's talking about the idea, you better count the cost of going against God. <laughs> yeah, it may be costly to jump in up front and realize all oh, that's going to happen, but you need to understand you're not going to win this battle with God. Not going to happen. All of us have our kingdoms. In fact, that's, that's what this whole transformation is about, is yielding our kingdoms and making Jesus' kingdom now our kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life today. You're going to surrender or are you going to fight God? Okay. So you see all the different dynamics that Jesus is talking about. This, this idea of just kind of casually, accidentally falling into being a Christian is ridiculous. It does not do honor to the relationship that, that Jesus is calling us to along the way. And so we count that cost. Going all the way with it and the cost of not making that decision. Both are, are vitally important to us. Okay, let me, uh, let me stop there and just see if you have some thoughts or questions you would like to share with the group. I think I've got out what I was wanting to do. How are we on time? Do I need to just, you have to just tell me what to do. I'm very obedient. You've got to tell me what to do. Huh? Okay. <laughs> Thoughts, questions, anybody wanted to ask? And along that line, too, one of the things, when we do pre, one of the things I talk about a lot is the greatest threat to any relationship is another relationship. Okay? Do you hear that? The greatest threat to any relationship is another relationship. So if I'm, if I'm marrying Debbie, the greatest threat to our relationship is another woman coming into my life, or for her, another man coming into her life. Okay? So as Jesus describes this, I think the point he's getting at is the greatest threat to your relationship with Jesus is probably another relationship. It could be in your family. It could be a relationship with your things, you know, or whatever. And so what he's, he's not actually calling us to hate, to literally hate, but what he's calling us to is a superior love for him. Yeah. Is that your relationship with me is the most important relationship in your life. Now that, was, that was very real for me. Because, as I said before, I grew up in a family that was very close and very loving. I didn't have any of the drama that, I mean, we were, we were stupid kids, you know. But family-wise, with, with our mom and dads, we, we grew up in a great environment. When I made my commitment to follow Jesus as a disciple, it really troubled my family. In fact, my mother said to me, if you, if you go this direction, you know, then... Don't come back at Christmas, or you know, you're not going to be my son. Now, she loved me so much she couldn't stick with that commitment. Okay, but I really had to count the cost. Am I going to? Because she didn't know anything about discipleship, or you know, and the commitment level that I was getting myself involved in, it was very threatening to her. Um, Anyway, that's not a long story. But for me, it was a very real decision I had to make. Am I going to make this commitment even, even if I lose my mom and my dad? And, and for a few months, I did lose my mom and my dad. 
but their love was so great they couldn't maintain that, you know, in that situation. Now, there are other situations in the world where you could lose your family because of your relationship with Jesus forever. You know, it could be disowned. And I think the point of Jesus' teaching is here, do you understand how important this relationship is? We're talking about the Son of God here. We're talking about the Son of God. It's got to be the most important, important relationship to you, to the point that anything else would pale, almost look like hate because you love Him so much. Okay, I think my 10 seconds are up. <laughs> Thank you to my paid cheering section over in this direction. Um, yeah, so as we get ready to go into communion, I would just encourage you guys to really kind of think through, is there anything in my life that I'm letting come ahead of my relationship with Jesus? You're obviously not going to think through that in the next minute or two. So that needs to be something that you continue to think about and ask yourself about in the next couple of weeks. Um, but if you're thinking something specific this morning and you want to talk to somebody during communion is a great time to do that. Just share that with them. Um, even if it's just to say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. Can we talk about this later? Um, but share your thoughts with the people around you. Ask them, was there anything they were thinking about? And then I think the beauty of communion is we get to celebrate the fact um, that we have a very loving God that we have a God that wants in our um, struggle to be like him, that he wants to come to us and help us and strengthen us to be able to make those tough choices, and that he died in order for us to be able to have a relationship with God. And that's what we're going to celebrate um, as we take communion together. If you haven't been here before when we take communion, um, we've got people in the back, three different places, where you can take bread and dip it into the grape juice. Um, and then that's how we take communion together. And then we'll come back to our seats. We have some more songs to sing um, before, we're, before we finish up this morning. So let's pray together. And God, I just thank you for the challenge to really think about, is there anything in our lives that we're putting before Jesus right now? I pray that you'll really open our eyes so that we can see that truthfully and evaluate that truthfully. And I pray that we would... Um, do whatever it takes to make sure that Jesus is the superior relationship in our lives. Uh, we thank you so much for his love for us and for the way that he exemplified being a servant and loving people well. And I pray that we will be able to follow him in those things, that you'll transform us and make us more like him every day. Thank you for the opportunity to take communion together as a family and to remember him and to remember his love, and to remember his sacrifice, and to remember the power that he brings into our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week, and you can get more information about that at dentonnorthchurch.com.